We've been talking about this uh, for the past like four weeks now. We're four weeks in, and it, and it, we, I started with this really embarrassing, uh, uh, embarrassing confession. The, the confession is, and man, I, I feel so, it's embarrassing to say, but I have participated in every bad decision that I have ever made. It's true. Um, I was there for every single one of my bad decisions. In some cases, I was the mastermind of all of my worst regrets and all of my bad decisions. And the reason why I feel comfortable sharing with that with you this morning is because I know that I'm not alone. And if you think about it, here's the kind of scary thing about you, is that you were the mastermind behind some of your biggest regrets. <laughs> some of your most unwise moments, some of your most unwise decisions in your life, you were the mastermind behind those things. And the reason why we made some of those decisions, and the reason why we made some unwise decisions is because we lacked something really important. We lacked this right here, wisdom. We lacked wisdom. We need wisdom. We're, we're perishing for lack of wisdom. Um, and so here's, here's, we've been talking some weeks on what wisdom's about, and we've said, you know, a lot of things, and I can't re-say them all, um, but they'll, uh, all those sermons will get, on, will get online this week. But um, we've said that, that morals aren't enough. You're going to bump into a lot of decisions. I hope you have morals. You should have good morals. But morals aren't enough because there's a lot of decisions you're going to make every single day that aren't necessarily moral decisions in nature. Um, what college should you go to? All right? Should I go here or should I go there? Well, you know, you should pray. Maybe, the, maybe God just reveals something to you. But you might just be like, man, they're both good choices. And uh, they, might be, they both might be moral choices. And what also isn't enough is just your knowledge. Knowledge is great, but you might, have, you might know everything about those two colleges. But still, it's like, what, what's the right decision? This is where we need wisdom. We need wisdom. I'll give you an example that, that, uh, that I like to use sometimes because I think it, it makes total sense. Um, do you guys remember American Idol? It's back on, right? Um, a lot of us used to watch American Idol when it first started. And years ago, American Idol did this thing called, um, I think it was called Idol Cares or something like that. It was a couple years in, and they did this big, like, push to raise money to help people all over the world, especially in Africa. And, uh, and a lot of people gave money. And one of the things that happened from that, that American Idol big, you know, sort of fundraising thing is what they were able to do is they were able to purchase um, thousands, hundreds of thousands of mosquito nets, and they send them to Africa. Um, and that's a good thing because malaria gets transferred with, with mosquitoes. And so, you know, we want to help people not get malaria. So it makes sense that we would send a bunch of, a bunch of uh, mosquito nets over to Africa, right? So is that, like a, is that a good moral thing to do? Well, sure, like that makes sense. Like we want to help people. And, you know, we have the knowledge to send it. You know, knowledge is great. We, can, we should send those things. But it actually turned out to be really unwise. Do you know why? It's because we send, Amer all of us Americans, we send all of the mosquito nets over to Africa and we put everybody out of business in Africa who makes mosquito nets. Now they can't sell their mosquito nets. Now they can't, now they can't provide for their family, right? Because the market is just flooded with free mosquito nets and you can't beat free. And so what we end up doing when we do things like that when we don't use wisdom, we might have all the right morals and the knowledge, but wisdom comes in and says, hey, maybe we shouldn't, maybe there's a different way to help 
places where malaria is, is, is thriving. Maybe we shouldn't be sending a bunch of free mosquito nets. See, that's wisdom. Wisdom. And we need wisdom. You need wisdom. And so we've said, you know, the Bible has a lot to offer when it comes to wisdom. And here's what's so cool about the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, what we're going through, is it's different than fortune cookie wisdom. Fortune cookie wisdom is, uh, is the kind of wisdom where it's going to give you like little statements of wisdom. And when you read the book of Proverbs, you know, it seems on first glance that Proverbs is like just a bunch of sort of wisdom statements and you're supposed to memorize them and now you'll be a wise person, you know. But we said that wisdom isn't like walking through a door. Wisdom is like walking a path. And it's not like fortune cookie wisdom. Like this one says, enjoy the lighter things in life. Deeper joys will follow. And everybody say, ah. Oh. Yes, that just fills my heart. And then there's some numbers there for the lottery, right? Um, the, book of Pro- the Bible isn't as interested in just giving you nuggets of wisdom as much as it's interested in turning you into someone that makes wise decisions. You see the difference? The Bible's not, that in- not too interested in just giving you some little, you know, some pithy statements to remember. No, no, no. The Bible wants to get down so much deeper than that and turn you and I into people who are wise. People who are wise. And so we're spending some weeks talking about it. Um, last week, we opened up this big can, uh, this big mega theme in Scripture, actually, um, is is uh, the, the verse that we looked at, the verse is, uh, do, I have it? do I have the verse for this? And is this working, by the way? Throw something up there. Oh, yeah, good. This is the verse, all right? We said, thank you, where, where uh, does wisdom begin? Where does wisdom begin? And the Bible says something just so unorthodox, just something so strange. It says this. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and, and, and years will be added to your life. It begins with the fear of the Lord. Now, that seems sort of strange. Why would God say, hey, if you want wisdom, then that means it begins with you fearing me. And that kind of throws us off because we're like, wait a minute. I thought, we, I thought we weren't supposed to. I thought he was a God of grace. But again, as we said last week, here's the cool thing about the fear of the Lord. This fear of the Lord isn't like a Freddy Krueger kind of fear. Okay. Actually, it's the kind of fear that when you see his goodness and his forgiveness and his graciousness and his bigness and his kindness that's the things that lead us to repentance it actually grows this fear in us it's the kind of fear that you have when you drag your first baby home from the hospital it's a holy fear it's a I've got something so precious in my life that I am going to drive so carefully because I don't want to do anything to, to to hurt this it's the kind of fear that when you know you have something so valuable at your house and you're just going to do everything to protect it because you don't want to misuse it because it's so incredible it's so valuable that's the kind of fear that is the beginning of wisdom and so we talked about that last week this week um, this week, what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, another thing that's related to our fear of the Lord. And I want to talk to us, all of us, myself included, about a trap that we easily get caught in. There is a trap that I would just want you to see this morning that you and I get caught in so easily, so unnoticeably. And it's a trap that is directly related to your fear of the Lord or lack of fear of the Lord. And listen to this. This is a trap 
that whether you believe in the Bible or not, this is a trap that you, you fall into, whether you're here and you know, I don't know if I believe all this, this, is, this, is, this applies to you even, this is a trap that, that you get caught in. And listen, this is a trap that causes much of our worry. If you're here and you're struggling with worry, struggling with anxiety, Listen, I'm not a doctor, but here's what I know. And here's what I just want to open up our eyes to today. That this trap that we so easily get caught in is causing so much of your anxiety and so much of your worry. What is this trap? And what's the antidote? How do we get out of it? How do we defeat it? Um, That's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, First, before we get to that, does anybody have some really big regrets in their life? Anybody have any regrets? Just big ones, perhaps. Or maybe, maybe just a bunch of little ones. Anybody? Here, well, here's what I'm going to do. Is I got the microphone, and the first person, no, I'm just kidding. I'm so kidding. I would not do that to you. We all have some regrets, right? And, and there, here's, some, here's three questions I want you to think about. This first question is a question that that we've all asked ourselves, and it's, and it's sort of like a foolish question. Okay, I'll tell you what, what, what I mean. Here's this first question is, why did I do that? Okay, now, the reason why this is a foolish question is because you're asking this question on the back end of whatever foolish thing you decided to do, you know? Why did I pay money for that? Why did I date him? You know, why did I date her? Why did I, you know, why did I do that? You're looking back in the rearview mirror, and it's like, man, I wish... I wouldn't have done that, right? That's sort of like what a foolish person asks. Here's a better question. This is a better question. Check this out. Here's this question. A better question to ask is, why am I doing this? See, that's a better question because you're asking it in the moment. You're asking it, you're, you're asking it perhaps before you go too far. You're asking it before you make a decision that's going to take you over the edge. It's a better question to ask, why am I doing this? But, listen, wisdom Wisdom that begins in the fear of the Lord pushes us to ask a third question. And this question is uncomfortable, but this question is gold. Gold. Because a better question even than asking why am I doing this is this question. Why am I doing this really? Why am I doing this really? Why am I gossiping right now? But wait, why am I gossiping really? Why am, I, why am I buying this? Why am I eating this right now at midnight? <laughs> why am I eating this right now? Why am I eating it really? What's really going on underneath? Why am I doing this? Why am I attracted to this person really? Why am I, why am I pursuing this business deal you see how dangerous this question is? You see how it just gets underneath? Why am I? Because there's these motives underneath some of the decisions that we make. And a wise person is going to have the courage to say, why am I doing this really? Really? And what I want you to see today is one of the, 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 one of the things that's under the really of many of our unwise decisions is the things that we fear. The things that we fear most. You and I have fears that we walk around with, and those fears often motivate and are underneath the reallys behind why we are doing some of the things that we're doing. It's this, it's this fe- we have these fears in us, and I'll go into some of these fears that, that we might have, that you might have in a second, but uh, you know, I, I think of, 
You know, I think of times when, especially in middle school and high school, but I still do it even today. I think of times when, when, uh, when I was in middle school, there were these fads. Every, like, month, there was, like, a new deal. So I remember one month, it was yo-yos. Everybody was into yo-yos. Everybody had a yo-yo at school, and I didn't have a yo-yo. And so I'm like, Mom, buy me a yo-yo. Like, I need a yo-yo. And, you know, if I, the, the reason why isn't because I want a yo-yo. You know that, right? I really could care less about the yo-yo. What do I care more about? I want to fit in. I want people to, I don't want to be left out. I want people to think I'm in. And, oh, you've got a yo-yo too. You know, that's like middle school for you, right? It's like, well, it's going, why is that a big deal? And then the next month it was pogs. I don't know, Pogs, mom, get me Pogs, you know, and then maybe it's Pokemon Go, you know, or maybe it's this, or maybe it's that, and I got to do it, because why, is it really the thing that I'm after, or is there a really, is there a really that's driven by this fear of not fitting in? Listen, we all struggle with that, and the Bible is really honest with us about this, and here's what's so cool about the Bible. The Bible, some of you don't believe this. Um, I, I want you to, I, I believe it, I want you to, I want you to see it, is, is God knows you better than you know you? And the Bible, even though you think like, how does the Bible know me? That's, the, that's, the, that's why it's this beautiful thing that we have, it's inspired. The Bible knows you better than you know you. And the Bible knows that about you. And this is sort of God's critique on what that whole thing is, what those fears under the really, you know, under our decisions. And the Bible calls it this, the Bible calls it the fear the fear of man. Oh, but that's true. Our fears do cause us to make unwise decisions. I skipped that one. The fear of man. The fear of man. That's what the Bible calls it. It's this thing underneath why we make so many decisions. The fear, the fear of man. Um, <clears throat> Proverbs 29, 25. This will be like our, really our one verse that we're just going to camp out on this morning. Just one verse. But it's so helpful. So helpful. Just one verse. Here's the first part of it. It says, Fearing people is a dangerous trap. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. And the reason why is because when we fear people, it causes us to make some really unwise decisions. When we have this fear of men, when fearing people, it's a dangerous trap. Um, Our fears also do this for us, though. Not only do they cause us to make unwise decisions, but here's what's, this this is huge. Listen. Our fears give us some really deep insight into what we love most. Our fears give us some really deep insight into what we love most. Think about it. Psychologists have been telling us this for for years. You know, the typical advice is like follow your passions and then you'll know what you're passionate about. But psychologists know, know us a little better and they've always said, hey, no, 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 follow your fears, follow your nightmares. Whatever sort of like your biggest fears are in your life, that those actually are good things to pay attention to because it's revealing to you what, what's it really, what really is at the bottom of your heart that your heart wants. What do I fear the most? What's under that, what it's showing us is really what we love the most, what we need the most in order for us to feel validated and, and alive and people and, you know, that we matter in the world is we need to escape our fears and we need to get this thing that we so desperately uh, really, really want. Um, For instance, I'll give you some examples here and then I'll get painfully transparent with you. Um, You might be a people pleaser. 
And if you're a people pleaser in the room, then your greatest fear is rejection. You just don't want to be rejected. Now, uh, you know, you don't, you don't, and then you, but maybe you're like somebody who, maybe you're not a people pleaser. Maybe your, your biggest love is you want to succeed. You want to, you want to be the winner. You have to be in control of the room. And so you have to be succeeding all the time. Um, then your greatest fear isn't rejection. Your greatest fear is to be seen as a failure. Um, to be, you know, uh, to be transparent, I am a people pleaser. I'm a people pleaser. One of my biggest fears is that people won't like me. And this causes me, you know what it does? It causes me to make some really bad decisions. It causes me to make some really unwise decisions. It's actually tiring just living that way. Always worried about what people think about you. Right? So like when I play board games with people, I don't mind if I lose horribly as long as you like playing with me. I just want you to enjoy the experience, you know, playing with me because I want you to walk away saying, man, it's so fun. I, I creamed him, but it was so fun playing with Brooks. See, I don't care about winning board games. I just want you to like me. Now, I married somebody who's completely different than me. <laughs> See, it's the way that I drive, too. Or we'll be in the supermarket, and people will be trying to get past us, and I'll be like, oh, sorry, let's get out of our way. And Christy's in there. I'm like, Christy, let's move out of their way. They're trying to get through. Because I'm like, I don't want them to think we're slow. I want them to enjoy walking behind us. <laughs> but, Christy, but Christy's like, I don't care. <laughs> And that's not because she doesn't like people. It's just because her brand is a dysfunction is different than mine. She's just wired differently than me. But I'm this person where I'm just driven by that. I need people to like me. Um, this is where it gets super embarrassing because, listen, I consider myself to be a, a, like a, a good parent. I, I, I'm, a good, I'm a good dad. But do you know the moments where I'm the worst kind of dad is when I'm overly worried about everybody thinking I'm a good parent. That's when I'm at my worst. Because, see, I discipline my kids because I love them. But if you're over at my house or we're in public and my kids do something, I get fierce. And I get embarrassed. And I pull them to the side and I'm like, don't do that. And at the t you know, in the moment, if I was to ask myself, why are you doing that really It's not because I'm, I, want, I want what's best for them. You know what it is? Is I want what's best for me. I want people to think my kids are well behaved so that they will think Brooks is a great parent. And that drives me sometimes to sort of get frustrated with my kid. And in that moment, I'm not thinking about him. I'm not thinking about developing him. I'm worried about moi. And those, that's what, those are some of the times when I'm at my worst. You see that? our greatest fears. They reveal our, our greatest loves. And underneath our reallys of why we make some unwise decisions is because these things are, under, are underneath. I mean, I got a list here. And, I, I, you know, we could spend all of our time just sort of woeing over some of our greatest fears and some of the things we love most. You know, maybe your greatest fear is making mistakes, looking like a failure. So your greatest love is success. And that means that's going to push you to appear to be successful or at least appear successful. You got to always be right. Maybe your greatest fear is that people think you're lazy. You just, it's insufferable for people to believe, to think that you're not pro producing or that you're lazy. So that's going to push you to overwork. It's going to push you to, to, to stay at the office because people need to know that I am a hard worker. Maybe your greatest fear is 
um, being rejected. And so you work really hard to earn people's love. You got to prove to everyone that you're lovable. And what will happen is you'll constantly move away from conflict. You'll constantly move away from hard conversations. You won't draw boundaries because people need to accept me. Maybe your greatest fear is not being noticed or being ordinary. And so that's going to cause you to, to emphasize your uniqueness in order to get people to notice you. Maybe your greatest fear is to be seen as weak. And so your greatest love is self-sufficiently. I'm not weak. I can take care of myself. And that's going to cause you to pull away from relationships and, you know, hide your faults and be, become really individualistic. Maybe your greatest fear is to feel powerful or to, your greatest fear is to be taken advantage of, of. And so you work really hard to just be in control of everything because nobody's going to take advantage of me. And so you just live in this world of I've got to be in control. I've got to see everything that's coming three steps down the line. Um, maybe your greatest fear is feeling pain or disappointment. And that means that maybe your greatest love is feeling happy at all costs. I don't know. We could just keep going. But listen. Um, <clears throat> Many of us come to God um, conditionally. Many of us come when we first become Christians. A lot of us started out as, as Christians having a relationship with God that was very conditional in nature. Meaning, God, I'll worship you if you deliver me from my greatest fears and give me my greatest loves. God, I'll come to church as long as it works for me. God, I'll come to church as long as... This, this area of my life gets better, and, th and then I'll, I'll give my life to you. God, um, I'll, I'll become a Christian as long as you find me a spouse. Then, you know, then, if you can do that, then I'll... So many of us come to Christianity because things are difficult, and we come and we say, God, maybe you'll make things better. And I'm not saying that's where some of us start. But listen, do you see what that is, though? Is really whatever's on the other side of that if is the thing that you really want. And whatever's on the other side of that if, if it's not God, what you'll do is you'll end up using God to try to get you whatever that thing is and try to deliver you from your greatest fears and give you your greatest love. Do you see what that means? That means that if you come to God conditionally, if it's, come, if it's God, I'll follow you, I'll worship you, or I'll sacrifice for you if, whatever's on the other side of that if is your real God. That's the thing you really want. And imagine being God in that context with us. I mean, here's God and he says, listen, if you fear me, if you let me be at the top, if you if think then everything else will trickle down, life will trickle down. But listen, what I can't do, what I won't allow is for you to use me to give you your idol. I'm not going to give you your idol. I want to give you me. And God knows that when he gives us him, when we grow in the fear of the Lord, then all of our fears start to fade. They come to perspective. All of our loves find their rightful place when he's at the top. Um, <clears throat> by the way, living this way with all of these fears and dealing with all of these things under our reallys, you know, do you know what it is? It's this one word. It's exhausting. <laughs> Isn't it? It is so exhausting living that way. What's the antidote? What's the cure? Listen, here's what the scripture says. Remember the beginning says the, says, the fear of man is a trap. And then, here's what it says. The fear of people is a dangerous trap. So, 
when the players start to play, 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 and the haters start to hate, 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 shake it off. Just shake it off. I bet you didn't even know that that was in the Bible. That's in there. I'm just kidding. I totally made that up, all right? For those of you who are like, wait a minute, that's a Taylor Swift song. I, listen, I put this in here because this is the normal advice that we get for how to deal with our fears. How do you deal with your fears? Well, here's what you need. You need to get, you need to get more self-confidence. You need to just believe in yourself. And then if people start hating, you just shake it off. I don't care what you think. You know, I'm going to be myself. I'm my own self. And that's the, that's the antidote that our culture wants to give us when it comes to our fears. And I just want you to hear from me this morning that that won't work. It won't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It might work maybe for the moment, but it do, it's not a real cure. It's not, a, it's not an antidote to the problem. Here's what the proverb actually says. Listen, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. But trusting the Lord, see what it does? It's, it's juxtaposing these two things. You're either going to fear the Lord or if you're either going to fear people or you're going to fear the Lord. You're either going to fear people and trust what people say about you, or you're going to trust the Lord and what he says about you. And do you see what happens here? Here's the answer. Here's the answer. I think I have, I think I have the answer up here. I'd rather you just put it up here so I can remember. Here's, here's, here, this is it, all right? If you need to leave after this, then you can go. This is, like, this is the punchline. Is you have to replace your loves and your fears with the greatest love and the greatest fear. That's the only way that it works. That's the only way you melt fears isn't by saying, oh, I'm not fearful. No, no, no. It's you replace your fears. You supplant your fears with the greatest fear. And you supplant your loves with the greatest love. You supplant your, tr your, your trust over here with the greatest trust. And you give your heart an object to love and adore and fear. And when Jesus is that object, Everything else, you, you'll be amazed at how your fears and how your anxieties and your worries and all the stuff that we're caught up in with the fear of man and worrying about what other people think of us, it all comes into perspective and context when the fear of the Lord is prominent, when it's at the top. There's a really famous um, Scottish minister who died in 1847, his name is... Uh, Thomas Chalmers. Thomas Chalmers uh, uh, had a sermon that sort of, I mean, put him on the map. An incredibly famous sermon that many theologians and people have, have quoted and cited since. And here's the sermon's title. The sermon's title is The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. The word expulsive, it means it's one thing pushes out one thing and replaces the other. The expulsive power of a new affection. Here's, here's just a little, here's a little snippet from his sermon. Listen to this. This is brilliant and so helpful. It's helpful for me. I, I hope it's helpful for you. Here's what he says. The boy ceases, he's using a, 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 maybe a young man as an example. The boy ceases, ceases at length to be a slave of his appetite. But it is because a more mature, mature taste has brought it into subordination. The youth ceases to idolize sensual pleasure, but it's because the idol of wealth has taken hold. Even the love of money can cease to have mastery over the heart because it's drawn into the whirl of ideology and politics 
And he is now lorded over by a love of power and moral superiority. Listen to this. But there is not one of these transformations in which the heart is left without an object. Its desire for one particular object is conquered, but its desire to have some object is unconquerable. You see what he's saying? He's saying that you can go from love to love to love to fear to fear to fear, and you think you've conquered your fears when really you haven't. You're just supplanted it and replaced it with a new fear and a new love, a new thing that, you're, that you need to have in your life for your life to make meaning. And he's saying that something has to be at the center of our hearts. Something always will. We will worship something. And so we put all these things into our hearts and what we're going to worship. And listen to what he says. This is brilliant. He says, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. It is only when admitted into the number of God's children through faith in Jesus Christ that the spirit of adoption is poured out on us. It is then that the heart brought under the mastery of one great and predominant affection is delivered from the tyranny of its former desires. And this is the only way that deliverance is possible. You see what he's saying? Basically he's saying, when you know, when you know, when you know, when you know, that you have the approval of the king, then you care less about what the doorman thinks of you. When you know that you've got the love of the Father, the love of our Heavenly Father, then while our wounds from our own fathers are still a part of our lives, I, will, I, I don't have to be mastered by the wounds from my earthly father. I don't have to be controlled by the love or the lack of love that my earthly father gave me or didn't give me. I don't have to, my identity doesn't have to be seeking out for, uh, for my father to give me that affirmation when I have the affirmation of the true father. Do you see that? When your fear of the Lord grows, and when your fear grows, as we said last week, your love grows, and like as 1 John says, perfect love casts out all fear. When your fear of the Lord grows, your fear of other things starts to melt. And when your love of God grows, all these other things that you love in your life, which are all wonderful things, they all find their rightful place. And then things go well. And that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of wisdom. Um, <clears throat> how do you get this love? How do you let the fear of God grow in your heart? This is my last thing. And then we'll pray. And we'll just sing a song. And we'll just close this up for us today. How do you get it? How do you get the fear of God in your life? I, I scratched the surface last week. Listen to that message. That might help. But listen. What you can't do is go home today or sit here in your chair and be like, okay, I'm going to fear God more. <sighs> I'm going to fear him. Okay, I'm almost there. Oh, neck muscle straining. Oh, I got a little head rush right there. Whoa. Um, you can't like force it into you. It, it doesn't work that way. You, know, you can't just go home and say, oh, I'm just going to fear God more. Okay, I'll just fear you more. The way you fear God more is uh, you tap into this really cool parable that Jesus tells. Jesus tells this really beautiful parable. 
And I just try to apply it to my heart as often as I can. Jesus is talking on a hillside with a group of people like us. And he says, listen, there's a guy who finds a field. He, and in this field, he finds treasure. Incredible treasure in this field. And he knows that he's got to get this treasure. And so he goes home and he liquidates everything. He drains his bank accounts. He, sell, he garage sales it up for three months and he, gets, he scrapes, scrapes enough money together to buy this field so that he can get the treasure. What's that parable about? Listen, when you see that you are that treasure, that God sees you, even in the midst of all of your flaws and all of your imperfectness, when you see that God sees you as that treasure, and that he loves you so much that he liquidated everything. He even liquidated his own life. He even shed his own blood so that he could get you, so that he could purchase that field, so that he could secure your heart, so that he could melt your heart with his grace. When you see that you are that treasure to God, then and only then will you be able to make him your treasure. That's it. That's where it starts. When you see Jesus, when you see his grace, he loves me? Are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? He loves me. When you see that, that's the thing that melts your heart. And that's the thing that begins the fear of God to grow in you.